Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Is hair a material? Are biscuits a material? Are crystals a material? Is plastic a material? Is porridge a material? Can gases be a material? Are eggs a material? Is water a material? What do you call everything that isn't a material? (laughs) Sorry, I didn't mean to laugh at your question. And yet you continue to do so. (laughs) Hello and welcome to Handmade, the making podcast with real talk about materials. As always, I'm your host, Anna Pajajski, and this episode I talked to paint maker Ezra Alhamal about pigments. Ezra is a Saudi artist, podcaster and researcher based in London, and we started by talking about how Ezra's move to London has informed her artistic practice. I've been in London for, I think, seven years now, and my move to London actually has been quite impactful on the what I do all of it because I studied interior design from the beginning but then in my master's I kind of started practicing Islamic art and this is when a lot of things changed and I was like wow there is this whole world of art and material and tradition that I haven't heard of before well it's kind of like you know it growing as uh, growing up as an Arab you're like oh there's this great art and mosques that we have but it's like it didn't click until then that it's like a complete art form that has like so many different areas and I was like oh I would love to learn more and like I started with some basic geometry classes with art of Islamic pattern with Adam and Richard and that led into doing more classes at the Princess School of Traditional Arts. And I carried on with my master's, which is in interior architecture. And from there, I started my PhD. But then with the PhD, I was like, I really want a new, like a subject that's relevant to that field. But interesting enough that I will continue doing that for four years. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And believe it or not, it's like after four years, whatever you like becomes boring. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Imagine eating cake for four years. I mean, (laughs) that never gets old, but (laughs) it was the same exact flavor. (laughs) So true. Um, So I chose to research biomorphic pattern, which is one of, which is kind of the natural looking, some people call it arabesque and stuff like that. And that took me on kind of a journey that I'm still on. And it 
completely changed my path. And I consider myself an artist now because that's what I would love to continue doing. And it just, it feels great. When I was studying design, it was nice, but I didn't really feel super connected to it. It was like, okay, I'm good at this. I'll continue doing this. But then when I started doing the art part, then I was like, oh, this is what it means when you're really enjoying something. Amazing. Here we are. So here we are. Um, I'd love to hear more about Islamic art because it's something that I'm not sure all listeners will be familiar with. Um, you mentioned geometry as well. How how is geometry? Um, what why is geometry kind of related to Islamic art? Um, so with Islamic art, it it's like a really big umbrella term. So when people say it, it's sometimes it's like everything under the sun from. The beginning of Islam, which started in the 700, wait, 7th century of life. Um, was it 7th century? Maybe 8th century. Um, sometimes it's like between the English one and the Arabic one, I guess. Right. But basically, it, like, it started from the beginning of Islam. And then it kind of expanded all until the 18th century. So it's like, how are we meant to put all of that under one term called Islamic art and not to mention the geographical location changes so the Islamic world is really big it's not just Saudi (laughs) um it's like all the area around the Arab world that people refer to as the Middle East and North Africa and then you get like um parts of Asia within that and parts of Europe and it seems to be like everything that happened during all that time and all that vast uh, geography is called Islamic art (laughs) but in reality Islamic art is kind of divided into subsections and one of the main ones is geometry so a lot of the patterns are based on geometry they are based on mathematics they all make sense and sometimes uh, like some writers, like especially end of 19th century, like to say, uh, they like to say that, oh, Muslims just did geometry because they were not supposed to do figurative art. It's not true. And just geometry is not even fair because geometry is really hard. And it's so beautiful as well. And it's like it has doing geometry, it like can enable you to do so many different things as well. And having the mind to do those extremely complex patterns is really mind-blowing. So when you say geometry, um, is this to do with sort of symmetry and, yeah, yeah, repeated patterns? Yeah, so basically you, with Islamic geometry or any geometry, the beginning is the same. You take a compass and a straight edge and you start from the circle, then do different divisions depending on what you want. One of the very popular divisions is eightfold stars. And like you see it, you also see six uh, full um six fold stars as well within the Islamic patterns, like so many, you get into like fives and tens and it gets so complicated. And from that, you can build so many patterns. Uh, My specialty is not within the basic geometry. It's like, I know just the basics. And from that, I can analyze the biomorphic patterns because biomorphic patterns tend to be less complicated geometrically at the beginning. 
because the geometry is usually hidden and you'll see like the freehand flowing shapes that are inspired from nature. So you don't need it to be super complicated because you have like all this beauty on top of it. But when it's just pure geometry, it becomes like another level. It's like um, fivefold and tenfold. They are kind of where I would love to head, but it's still, I'm still at the beginning. Like my friend, Samira, she is, Samira Mann, she is the one who is specialized in Islamic geometry and all like the two guys that I mentioned at the beginning. Um, so so this is a materials podcast um, and <laughs> we're going to be talking about the materials that you use to make your beautiful artwork. Um, yeah, can you take us through kind of the materials that you use? Of course. Um, so... Part of the art that I do is Islamic illumination. And with illumination is the use of the gold. This is where the word comes from. And my first thing that fascinated me about this specific type was the gold. And I was like, oh my God, you're serious? We are going to take genuine 24 karat gold and putting in our painting. And that's <laughs> yeah. it. I think that was the moment I knew this art is for me because nice. <laughs> expensive taste all around. <laughs> And it just like it was so fascinating working with real gold because we're like in Saudi or in the Middle East, we're used to wearing gold. It's I mean, not because we're super rich, just because it is the kind of accessory. Well, yeah, I guess accessory that you would wear. You don't like be covered in gold top to like head to toe, but you would kind of have like a few pieces. You'd have like gold earrings that you got as a child or like a necklace or whatever. So it's like I am familiar with the higher carats of gold because it's like that's the type of gold they make but then to take that and paint with it like when I started my sister was like can you make me a necklace I was like no it's a completely different thing (laughs) yeah I'm not making jewelry it's just gold on paper and it's just making that gold from leaf into paint and then using because if we're using gold on paper you want to use something that's equally precious or like important to kind of pair it with because otherwise it's quite a shame to just use plastic next to gold right (laughs) so this is when I learned about natural pigments and how to make paint from natural materials and sources and bring it in like to pair it with the gold and have it on top of well next to the painting to cover the whole pattern um, but I wasn't like, it was kind of hard because making gold and making paints from pigments, they're not the easiest things, but they're not the hardest things either. You just have to be like into it to actually be like, okay, I just suffice spending one hour for one color. <laughs> <laughs> so with the gold, it actually takes, well, once you make uh, quite a good amount it can sustain you for a while, depending on how much you paint with it. So with the gold, you, I would, it will take me about two to three hours of preparation at the beginning. And that's basically taking the gold leaf from the booklet one by one, crushing it with like using two fingers or the side of your hand on a plate and using honey or gum arabic and just making it the finest that could possibly be and you would wash it for like about 
kind of for like three times and that takes like two to three days so it takes a while for the gold but again once you have enough like when I do a booklet it's usually enough for like three a three paintings okay so it is quite enough but making paints from pigments is quite a different process because you I mean you do have like a little um mulling aspects like when you are mixing everything like the pigments and the binder and that takes about an hour for each color depending on how coarse how fine it is like you can finish it quicker and it also depends on which one so like like pigments that come from the earth just like ochres that are on the ground like clays they are quite good because they're super soft so even as a rock form you can crush it quite quicker you can make it into the fine powder and then make it into the paint without having like too many issues it's like it's straightforward it's great and ochres are the oldest form of paints that we've used and they track them to using paints on body so there's a brilliant book called color by i think victoria finley but maybe like look that up and oh my god it's so good because it tells you everything about the beginning of color and how precious ochres were to put in rituals and on the body and in like cave paintings it's it's really fascinating but earths are really easy but well to an extent they are and then you come to minerals which is like a completely different experience so if i'm working on say the lapis lazuli is it really different than working with the earth like it takes longer um i usually don't take it from rock form because the the mineral itself is really tough so it takes a while for you to like be able to crush it um there is a Lebanese artist who's based in London called Jumana Midlidge she wrote a book at the beginning of the year talking about the all these materials and how you do them and she has like some clever tricks for dealing with lapis lazuli which is really helpful like adding vinegar heating it up and you're like aha these are great tips and (laughs) she took them from like various historic sources so it's like kind of continuing with the tradition and and it just sometimes you get softer minerals like malachite which is nice and soft so the rock is easily crushable and then you can mull it easier but then you have you kind of deal with it in a different way because the pigment is kind of sensitive and if you overwork it it becomes like it will give you a hint of gray sometimes it becomes fluorescent depending on like how good is your rock and sometimes people think oh the best rocks should be for jewelry but what you use for pigments should be jewelry grade (laughs) rocks that you're gonna crush into making paint so it's a fascinating world of possibilities because sometimes you are limited as well with nature you don't have um really bright colors so you don't have that super yellow that it's like when I say yellow like a bright banana yellow Mm. you don't really get that in nature 
So you have like a muted yellow tone and sometimes our brains are not used to that. It's like, what do you mean? I can't use this color. Like, <laughs> I, like I want to use purple, but right. I'm sorry. Okay. Like purple is a really hard one to get. And it's like really limited and maybe, yes, you can mix um, lapis with maybe um carmine to get a purple but then it's like you can't make oh, kind of like my heart's aches if I ever mix lapis because it's so precious I want to use it as it's like purest form and it looks beautiful next to gold mm, amazing this really sounds like a labor of love from like getting hold of the materials and then spending days and days crushing them and mixing them and stuff yeah very impressive <laughs> there are ways to like make it quicker as well so it's like if you um so because I started paint making for others and this is when you learn shortcuts okay because it's like I can't just sit there in my table and do this for days upon days yeah I mean yeah you can but you can like speed up the process by maybe getting powdered pigments rather than crushing it from rocks, getting all your binder ready, knowing the exact recipe, which changes, by the way, from each color. Like even though like I use um, different ochres, so I have yellow, red, brown, green, um, all from the earth, which is beautiful. Like I didn't realize we ever had green sand. I mean, it's not, I don't think I ever saw a sand, but it was like clay formations somewhere. Mm. I've never seen it in person, but I got some a hold of some green earth which is like so beautiful but then the recipe for it really changes than making um red ochres or yellow ochres so it's quite interesting because each color has its own personality and ways of making amazing are there any sort of uh, traditional significances for different colours, like a certain colours associated with um, different concepts, I guess, in Islam? Um, it's a really difficult to answer the spirituality and the symbolism of things because as individuals, we like to think that things are really precious in a spiritual way and like oh that just a connection to heaven and stuff which maybe it was at some point but nothing is 100% proven and in Quranic text like the Islamic text in Quran the only I think the only color mentioned as a color is to describe something is green Okay. So a lot of people use green as the color of Islam just because they're like, oh, but it's mentioned in the Quran. So right. it's like some garments of people who are going to wear in heaven are made of um, some green material. So we're like, okay, cool. And I think vegetation, because it's green, so we always feel like connected to that. Mm. Blue is mentioned in, in somewhat. So blue has been used so much within Islamic tiles and Islamic manuscripts. But you don't know if it's like a sign, of, like a symbolism sign, or if it was actually because blue was precious and it's a sign of power and wealth. So right. there are things that are like, mm, how, how sure are you? Which came first? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because they did... Um, use these materials as a proof of their wealth um like especially those leaders they wanted to prove a point with these colors with these patterns with the grand buildings like when the timurids came in the 14th century they made it a point to do the building so grand that 
it's like miles for you to stand. So it's just, it, it's, it's really interesting to kind of track what happened and how things came about. Yeah, amazing. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Do you have to stay true to the Islamic region or do you get materials from North America, Australia, South America? Like, How closely do you stay to kind of traditional... Um, materials that would have been available to Islamic artists? Um, so some of it is very within the Islamic region, but within the Islamic region, again, it's like a really vast geography. So Lapis Lazuli um, only came from Afghanistan at the beginning. Now it's like there are different sources for it in South America that people are using. Mm-hmm. But even in um, with Italian artists, they were using that, uh, Afghani lapis that came all the way and they referred to it as ultramarine because it's like it's from beyond the sea oh, at, interesting. like a very specific thing so like the Italian artist palette I think is very close to what I would use because it's a mix of Europe and mixed of the Muslim world mm. and Muslim world is was really well connected so they had ties in Europe but they didn't use a lot of European ochres so like this green earth for example that I just mentioned I haven't really seen it maybe it's there but they used um, expensive minerals with a lot of the Islamic work more than just like cheaper ochres so they used lapis lazuli that was there um what else did they use they used a lot of malachites and malachite you can see formations of it like across like lots of places recently I like read that they are bringing it from Algeria. And I was like, that's so cool. I'll just buy this specific one just to kind of feel connected to that part of the world. Cool. Um, but then they used a lot of um, Asian, uh, popular Asian pigments. So it's like, you know that, um, the cinnabar, the Chinese red, they used it a lot. Um, and it had like uh, mercury in it. And then they had vermilion. They've used like, like the, they were limited in resources there and like in the Muslim world by what's around them, but they still got around. Um, but I would say my palette is a mix of things. So I use a lot of Italian and French um, 
earth in my work and just like with the ones I make also because I want to be sustainable to the geographical region where I am so I'm trying to kind of resource from the closest environment to me okay cool so are there any do you get like British pigments then yeah actually there are some um so chalk is a great British one Uh um we have like mountains of that you get a lot of yellow ochres as well so it's like um we were visiting Hastings at the beginning of the year before lockdown Mm -hmm. the last actual trip that we had (laughs) who knew (laughs) um and we like just there was like this really nice river that connects to the ocean I don't know if it was like a proper river it was a stream somewhere Mm -hmm. like we saw in the nature reserve and by the riverbanks or like just next to the water streams there was like these really small yellow rocks and I collected a few just like tiny ones and I was like oh I'm gonna make some yellow um paints from that they're still there I did crush them (laughs) I haven't like painted with it and there are some people on Instagram there was a girl called London Pigment and she literally gets pigments just from London and she collects it from around the River Thames and there's like some red bricks that are coming from just the buildings that washes off there's like some oranges and some yellows it's a very limited palette so you're not finding like I don't know mineral that is very precious Mm. but you're still getting like some really nice colors you get slate gray as well which is like quite good if like you can get that so yeah there are a few things that you can make just from even just from London that's really cool um are there any interesting sort of either traditional or like maybe chemical even relationships like would you ever not put two pigments together because you know they're going to chemically react in some way or are there any kind of more traditionally paired colors to others um well I haven't like super experimented with chemical reactions but it seems from like I don't even know if there would be some chemical reactions from pairings of colors but so far they seem to be all right that's good (laughs) I don't have explosions (laughs) making them so that's really good but there is a particular pigment that I make and I'm not sure how long I'll keep making it it's a very traditional one called verdigris and it's basically copper and vinegar it's just like copper um, soaked in vinegar until it becomes this beautiful bright um, turquoise it's like imagine the color of a tropical ocean this is how it looks it's Amazing. so pretty but then eventually it's going to burn your paper oh so wow it really <laughs> it really depends how bad do you want this color and how long <laughs> do you want your your painting to last so it's like in Quranic manuscripts um in some of the Abbasid manuscripts from the 9th century and the 10th century you have like some just like many brown burn marks and this is where the verdigris used to be wow and I had a chat with um, Christine Rose Bears. So she, I was having a chat with her and she was saying that all the paints that are, um, all the pigments that are copper containing, they will eventually affect your paper in some way or another. Oh, really? And it's like, it's a new world when you speak to like book conservators. You're like, what? Tell me more. <laughs> I didn't know this. This is why I'm like, I'm warning my customers about it. I'm like, well, this it could happen, but sometimes it's just it's a really pretty color, and you're like, how long do I want this to last? 
Like, maybe I just want it to last for 10 years, maybe just 20 years, and it's fine. Yeah, maybe you can incorporate that into the design as well. (laughs) Exactly. Be like, this area might burn at some stage, so, like, make it, I don't know, creative. It's like using silver, for example, within your painting. So silver tarnishes and it becomes black. So sometimes when you look at a historic painting and the river is black, it used to be silver. Right, so which is something I didn't know until I started like researching this and I was like oh interesting but then it's like there's a beauty to this having that tarnished effect Mm. on your paper you're like it lived it lived through all of this that now it's it changed so it tells you the age so that's in terms of like chemical reactions in a way sure but with history but um in terms of classical pairings gold and lapis lazuli are the best. Okay. You always see them together. You also sometimes um, get some malachite and cinnabar. They are really beautiful together. Um, there are like lots of little classical ones that you can get from manuscripts. You're like, you look at what they've done and you're like, oh, I see you've done it in a few different ones. It really works. I'm going to do the same. What are you looking into next? Like, what are the unanswered questions in your work that you'd like to find out about? Hmm. I think I want to do more mixes of colours. Okay. To maybe do more, I don't know, more greens, more blues, more purples, because they're really difficult to just find in a raw, organic form. So it will be nice to kind of find specific mixtures that would be like, okay, this is how I make my purples. This is how I'm going to make all my greens. Because now my greens, actually greens are not too, too bad because I I thought they were bad, but they're not as bad as blue. So with green, I have green earth. I have malachite. um, There is some cylindite. Um, What was the other one? And there's like... There's opal. Opal is kind of a new green that I've been experimenting with. Jade green is very disappointing. Basically, if you crush jade, it becomes gray. Oh, really? So, That's interesting. <laughs> it's it's a very gray color. Although some artists were like, oh, this is so nice. It has like a very light green hint. I mean, you have to kind of have like extra vision to see that green hint. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like you get some natural sources but where it's like the blue naturally there is lapis lazuli there's azurite but the azurite blue has a hint of green because it's the same rock that brings malachite as well so I would love to learn more about these mixtures and like how to bring more of them to the surface probably purple would be kind of my next adventure nice because it's it's a really nice color it's like you don't really see much of it in I mean maybe you do see some of it in nature sometimes when you get like a purple sky but then you don't have that actual color I don't like in pigment form I'm like oh I want to I want to reach that so So sometimes, Possibly. yeah, sometimes you start from start from the color and try and work back and find the substance that you want to make the pigment out of. For sure. Yeah, that's so cool. Um, just going back to talk about techniques again quickly. Um, yeah. You mentioned the kind of the crushing and grinding process to make the pigments into powders. Um, what do you then have to mix them with before they can really be applied as paints? So 
this is when it comes to how you want your paint to become. So are you watercolor artist? Do you want this to be watercolor? Do you want it to be gouache? Or do you want it to be oils? I personally use watercolors and I use them in a very opaque way. So when you look at manufactured gouache from just like some that you buy from the store, they add fillers. So basically it's watercolor plus a filler, but I don't add that filler. I just use the pure pigments in a very opaque way. And that kind of gives me the license to use what to make it into watercolor or to make to like modern day gouache, but it is reality, just opaque watercolor. So for that, I use gum Arabic as my binder. If you want to stay true to like just the area where you're from, you can get gum from cherry trees as well, um, but it's not as strong. So it depends where you want the gum to come from. Um, Arabian gum, which is actually coming from Senegal and Nigeria. So it's, it's kind of like African gum, to be honest. But this is what it's known for <laughs> as the Arabian gum. Um, maybe you can. Anyway, I'm not going to analyze the name. <laughs> I get sometimes caught up. I'm like, oh, let me get this source why did they call this anyway so for the binder I would use gum arabic I use it all the time and I use natural preservatives within that you use a wetting agent you can get natural ones chemical ones whatever you like and that's how you would make that if you are interested in making your own oils which is very possible um some pigments would You'd have to read up on how some pigments react. So not every single pigment, you can pair it with oil, but a lot of them do work fine with oils. And then this is like a whole, a whole different game with like oil colors. So you mentioned earlier about your customers and that you're now kind of making this a bit more of a business. Can you tell me a bit about how that came about? Of course. Um, so in July, I decided this is it. This is the month in the middle of lockdown, because what other activity would you rather do than just make paint for you and for everyone else? So in July, I was like, this is going to happen and it's going to be a brand and I'm not going to dwell on it and I'm just going to make it happen. Brilliant. Because sometimes we get so lost and like, oh, what do I call it? How am I doing this? I was like, nope, I'm sitting down, putting everything on paper and just making it happen. Brilliant. So literally, that's what it was like. Um, I have a monthly newsletter on my Islamic Illumination page. Um, so I like to announce things the first Friday of every month. So that was kind of my deadline. I was like, I have a week till Friday and I've been buying pigments and collecting recipes and comparing things since the end of last year. So around November, I was like, oh, I would like to make this into business, but I don't have time at the moment. So basically I just bought every possible thing that you could buy. And I was like, I kept collecting them slowly. I was like, okay, so I need this and I need that. And then this is one I was like, okay, I haven't done this. Why am I not doing this? So we sat one evening, my partner and I, and I was like, we need to come up with a name. And we just like jot down all these different names until I think mostly he came up with the name. I don't know if I'm giving him full credit for the name. I don't, I think we both kind of did it together. <laughs> yeah, let's say that. <laughs> we'll go with that version of events. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and we called it Bristle and Brush. So, and it, it's funny, you know, people ask me, oh, do you sell brushes as well? I'm like, damn. <laughs> I have 
haven't like why I, I don't know I didn't think we didn't obviously think it through because like we, we made a decision within that hour and I was like oh I just need a name right now I'm gonna yeah. order labels names are so hard <laughs> as well you can spend I know this. I've tried to name various projects and it's taken me years <laughs> to come up with decent names you need a good name because uh-huh. it feels like this is kind of your baby and you want it like yep. you want to present it to the world so then we came up with bristle brush and started kind of small like the first month in July we did the earth uh, collection just like a small six color palette which as I mentioned it has the six colors all from French and Italian um, grounds and then kind of the next month we graduated into like adding the ocean palette the ocean palette is a bit of a question mark just because it includes all the difficult minerals so it didn't make an appearance after that it might come on later (laughs) and then now I'm trying to kind of get into a specific range that I bring in every month so I added two which is the modern illumination just because I do illumination I just needed a set for illumination as well and it's quite cool because it includes it includes different paints that are also chemically made so they're not hundred all natural just because certain colors like if people can't afford genuine gold I didn't want them not to have that joy of sparkle oh so (laughs) I did like imitation gold like gold luster and then it comes with smalt which is paint that was um manufactured in the 16th century and then I added hematite because it's just so cool it's like a volcanic mineral it's it's really fascinating and um so and then black and white because you just need them to Mm -hmm. make the variations with illumination work and then I did the wonder set which is 12 colors because everybody was like oh but this is six colors are not enough and I was like well your wish is my command so (laughs) I did the 12 colors but again I make them in very small batches every month because as I said, every color takes few hours of work. So it takes me four hours to make one color. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just kind of made it limited so far into like 15 colors, which I still think it's like a huge amount. So I was like, oh my God, I'm working all these hours of the day. But it's it's been really nice because a lot of people haven't tried these materials and Bristle and Brush gave them the opportunity to try them for themselves. So somebody was like, I've never dreamed of like using lapis and malachite. And it's just, it's amazing to share it with others. Like when I started learning about pigments, I was like, oh my God, what a faff. I like, I'm not even going to make it for myself. And now making it for myself and making it for other people. And you're like, okay, fine. I admit this is rewarding and nice. I like it. That's great. And are these paints that anyone can pick up and use? Yeah, like um, all you need is just add some water to it and just mix it well and paint with it. And I just tell, I try and warn people on certain ones. So like verdigris, I told people about the effects that it might have. With yes. lapis, I tell them like to mix it with other color just because it's a really precious blue it's a gem that comes only from like three places in the in the in the world and you're like you can't waste this be super careful so I mean you price it accordingly so people will kind of know it's a different thing from just buying something from the store sure. you're like you're kind of 
your heart is in it as well. And you're like, please be careful, use it. But then you see what people paint with things and you're like, that's so pretty. They use my, the things I made to make this beauty. And it's just, it's a kind of a well-rounded experience, I feel. Yeah, that must be a great feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So if people have enjoyed hearing from you um, and hearing about Islamic art and and the pigments that you make where do you recommend that they can go to see some examples and to find out more um so I have my Instagram page Islamic Illumination and then my website islamicillumination.com and if you are interested in learning more about it I have a few blog posts and some book recommendations which I think is so important to read so if you are intrigued about a subject check out the book list on the uh, on the resource page to kind of give you an idea of all of that and for the paints you can find me on bristleandbrush.uk or at bristleandbrushart yeah because Instagram has already been taken and you're like oh oh that's annoying yeah, it's okay. Now it's art. And Priscilla, Priscilla and brush art. So it's fine. Fair enough. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been really great to chat to you. Thank you for having me. So that was the fantastic Ezra Alhamal. Thanks so much to her for taking the time to come on the podcast and talk about all things pigments. That's everything for this time. As always, I'd be really grateful if you could like and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to make a one-time donation to support the pod financially, you can do so at supporter.acast.com forward slash handmade. If there's any material that you'd like to hear covered or making practice that you'd like to learn about, then do get in touch. We're at Real Talk, that's R-I-A-L Talk, on Twitter and on Instagram at Handmade Pod. Thanks as always to Dave Shepard for the cover art and to Alex Lathbridge for the music mix. Next week, I'll be joined by objects conservator Chloe Rumsey to talk about adhesives. So until then, I hope you have a great week and I'll see you next time on Handmade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.